Welcome to an audio teaching from Windsor Park Baptist Church in Auckland, New Zealand. If you would like to look at the message notes or see some questions for reflection that take their lead from today's teaching, head to our website, windsorpark.org.nz and head to the online tab where you'll see services and series and you can download different resources from there. Thanks for joining us and we hope you're encouraged by today's teaching. Kira koutou. I hope that you've been having a lovely week. We're currently in our sixth week of our preaching series, Character Matters. Today we are going to be looking at the person of Judas Iscariot. And I thought I'd start off by looking at what we know about the life of Judas. First, Judas is mentioned in the Bible 22 times, 20 in the Gospels and twice in the book of Acts. The name Judas is a form of Judah, which means Jehovah leads, and it was a common name for people in that area. Uh, in that era, including one of the disciples and uh, Jesus' half-brother. Scholars suggest that the name Iscariot, which is Judas' surname, could have a a few possible meanings. One is that it refers to a place called Kerioth, which is a region or town in Judea. And the second uh, likely um, possibility is that Iscariot may refer to the Sicarii, which was a group of assassins among the Jewish rebels. Yes, you heard that correctly, Judas may have been an assassin. Jesus hung out with some pretty deadly company. Judas' role as the betrayer is prophesied about three times in the Old Testament, twice in Psalms and once in Zechariah. All of the disciples eventually proclaimed that Jesus uh, was Lord, acknowledging that, that he is God. However, Judas only referred to Jesus as a rabbi or a teacher. Judas was referred to as the traitor, the thief, and the devil. It's probably why Judas doesn't appear in New Zealand's most common baby names. And Judas was present for uh, Jesus' entire ministry. He was a friend and a disciple. He saw healings and miracles. He heard the teachings of Jesus firsthand. And lastly, Jesus' betrayal is described in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John each revealing particular aspects about what happened. With that background information in mind, let's take a look at John 12. Take note of anything that stands out to you. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet, and she wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As the keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she would save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. There is a stark contrast between Judas and Mary in this text. 
On one hand, we see Mary expressing her love and devotion to Jesus by pouring out an expensive perfume on his feet, intimately wiping them with her hair. It was an unbelievable act of generosity and honour. And then on the other hand, we have Judas who was concerned about the wastefulness of the act. However, it was not out of a concern for the poor or good stewardship, but a selfish desire to keep more to himself. Immediately after this same passage occurs in Matthew, the author adds Judas' interaction with the chief priests. Matthew chapter 26, verses 14 to 16, he writes, Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him thirty pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over. When we look at these two events, it would seem that Judas had a bit of an issue around the love of money. And we might assume that this greed was the motivation for his betrayal of Jesus. However, there may have been other motivations that were at play. Some commentators suggest that Judas expected Jesus to lead a revolution against the Roman Empire. And when Jesus did not seek to do this, Judas may have become disillusioned, feeling like Jesus failed Israel, Judas betrayed him. We can't be certain about what Judas' motivation for betraying Jesus was, but there is one thing that is clear. Judas was lost. Despite living with Jesus for three years, Judas did not understand who Jesus was or what it was that he was going to do. Whether he was driven by money or by patriotic intentions or a mix of the two, Judas only followed Jesus as long as it served himself, as long as it suited his agenda. The real character issue that Judas struggled with was selfishness. And selfishness is the antithesis of the great commandment. Instead of loving God and loving others, selfishness means we are consumed by our own self-interest. And this self-interest can cause us to act in ways that can be harmful to others, because our desires and our ambitions are more important than those around us. The writer Joseph Campbell puts it this way, Sin always finds its root in our own selfish desires and self-gratification. Let me share a story with you. In my last year of high school, I went to a leadership day run by World Vision, and there were about 200 student leaders gathered from around Auckland. We expected to hear guest speakers and hear about how we can raise money for the 40-hour famine. But instead, they started the day off with a game. They divided us up into groups that represented different countries around the world. And each group had to choose a prime minister or a president and a trade commissioner. Once we had done that, they explained that there would be five rounds, each representing a different decade. Each decade, would, uh, each decade the groups would be allocated resources that we would have to trade with the other groups. And the goal was for every person in the group to have one food token, one oil token, 
and to make a paper radio or TV, depending on what decade you were in. So he started playing the game. In the first couple of rounds, everyone was just trying to figure things out. People were polite and respectful. By round three, people had gotten the swing of the game and were starting to get a little bit competitive. By round four, people started cheating and stealing from other groups. And in the final round, one person was pushed over while someone grabbed their group's paper tokens. It was a tense situation and people were shocked at what had happened. After we finished the game, they, they brought us back together in the auditorium. And the speaker asked what groups thought they had won. A number of groups started cheering and others started accusing them of cheating. The whole thing was an absolute mess. But then the speaker asked a question. He said, at what point did we tell you that the game was about winning? Everyone went silent. He went on to explain that the game was never about winning, but it was to show human nature, that even a bunch of eager, compassionate 40-hour famine school leaders had the potential to lie, cheat, and steal. Even push someone else over. The only difference between us and the world leaders that we often condemn is the positions and the places we have been born into and the cultures that have shaped the way that we see the world. We all have the capacity to do evil. We are, we are all capable of doing horrendous things. Why? Because we are inherently selfish. Our natural inclination is to put our own interest before the interests of others. For example, what is one of the first things that children have to learn when they begin making friends? They have to learn how to share. And it often takes them a while because up until that point in their lives, everything has been done by their parents or caregivers. Their whole world revolves around them. However, as we grow up, we learn to consider others. We learn to share, to respect, to love, to show kindness and generosity. We become socialized. But even when we are aware of how we should act, it doesn't necessarily get any easier. Particularly in our Western culture, which reinforces individualistic perspectives and tendencies. We say things like, each person for themselves, glorifying self-reliance. When we talk about rights and freedoms, it's usually about one's own autonomy rather than the needs of the most vulnerable. We say things like, I should be able to do what I want with my, insert, X, Y, and Z. We are more likely to use the language of me, myself, and I, rather than we, our, or us. The truth is that we can be a lot more like Judas than we may like to admit. We can be consumed by our own agendas and self-interest, by our goals and ambitions. And not only do we fail to live up to this call of loving God and others, but we can be so focused on going after what we want, that we can harm others in the process. The Times newspaper in the, new, in the UK once sent out an inquiry to famous authors, asking the question, 
what's wrong with the world today? And G.K. Chesterton, a a well-respected Christian apologist, replied, Dear Sir, I am yours, G.K. Chesterton. Despite writing a whole book on this very topic, Chesterton knew that the problem is quite simple. It's all of us. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. We are all responsible for the way this world is. The good news of Jesus shows us a different way. It couldn't be more countercultural to the individualistic, selfish, me-first culture that we live amongst. At the Last Supper, we see Jesus' interaction with Judas the night before he died. In Mark chapter 14, verses 18 to 20, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one of you who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and say to him one after another, Is it I? And he said to them, It is the one of the twelve, one who is dipping the bread into the dish with me. See, Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him, but he didn't try to stop him. He didn't try to run away or escape what was coming. Even when Jesus was arrested and put on trial, he he didn't push back. Jesus knew that he had to die for us. And he went to the cross willingly because he loves us. Not because of what we have done, but purely because it is God's nature to love. Jesus' death on the cross is the greatest act of selflessness in history. It's the innocent taking the heat for the guilty, the powerful making a way for the weak. Jesus made a way for us to have a new life. A life in which he transforms us into his likeness. We are to be a people of love, of selflessness and justice. A beacon of light and hope to a hurting world. That's what it means to be the church. We are the hands and the feet of Jesus. But this is only possible with him. He is the one that brings true, true change in our lives and in our world. The question is, are we willing to let the Holy Spirit transform us? Are we willing to let him guide our paths? Are we willing to submit to our Lord and King, the Redeemer and Saviour of the world? I want to finish this morning by reading Philippians 2 because it talks about the humility and the love of Christ. And as we read, I encourage you to sit with these words. What might Jesus be saying to you? Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, and being one in spirit and one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself 
by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you came to die for our sins. But Lord, that not only did you die, but you rose again. And you sent your spirit to live with us and in us, to transform us to be more like you. Lord, I pray that we would live lives that bring honour and glory to you. That we would be selfless in our actions. That we would not be consumed by our own self-interest and our goals and ambitions. But Lord, that in everything we do, we do it to honour and glorify you. Be with us this week, Lord. Be at the centre of our minds and our hearts. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining our audio teaching today. If there are ways that we can continue to support you or help you in your journey, please reach out to us. Head to our website, windsorpark.org.nz, and you'll find various ways to contact us. God bless.